0: Hello to all Facebook friends and family. Wonderful to be with you today from Tyler, Texas, in the West Erwin Church of Christ. Bill Allen here on the next to the last lesson from our Colossians study. We've been working through the book of Colossians throughout this uh, these last few months, and I hope that you have enjoyed uh, this study. I will probably take a few weeks off and not do the Tuesday-Thursday study after this week, until the summer. I plan on doing something during the summer, uh, but I think we'll skip the month of May and hopefully you'll use that time to do some reading and studying on your own. You certainly don't need me for that, but I'm glad to be here to help and to participate with you. Uh, So, looking forward to being able to uh, share these last two lessons from this great study of the Book of Colossians. Uh, If you're looking for a, a book that I think is a very readable book, a very good study, On the contemporary use of uh, the book of Colossians in today's world even though it's been written uh, a little while back it is still a great great study from Milton Jones entitled Christ no more no less he deals with uh, looking at the book of Colossians from a more postmodern perspective which was a very popular term several years ago but uh, we still live in that kind of world, or um, as Dr. Jim Baird uh, from Ab- Oklahoma Christian said several years ago (laughs) in a post-postmodern world, and today he may even say a post-post-postmodern world, and now if I use that term anymore, I'm going to lose all of you who have already signed on. So that's it for me on that, but I do uh, believe that that book is very relevant in the way that our culture is today, and so just a uh, a little heads up there on a book that you might find helpful and useful in looking at the book of of Colossians. Nice to see my dear sister and friend Tia Clark, wonderful singer, wonderful uh, sister, great uh, child of God. Good to see you on here. My dear friends Joe and Lenny Allard uh, online as well, and uh, nice to have the encouraging words from you. Uh, It's always great to uh, be needed and to need each other and to be able to join with each other through the wonders of online study as we have been able to do uh, so far. I'm still doing the uh, study of the Gospel of Mark on Sunday afternoons at 4 p.m. Central Daylight Time, and that one has a few weeks left to go still, um, and then we'll uh, do something on Sunday afternoons starting in June uh, as well. Uh, so with all of that being said, let's take a look at how Paul ends the book of Colossians. Uh, we'll read the rest of it today, And then on Thursday afternoon at 3 p.m. right here, we will um, finish out this study and do a little bit of summary and look at a few of the most significant passages that uh, we have used, especially uh, in this uh, study. A little hint, yes, Colossians 3 verse 17 will be on that list, and you knew that. Um, We've mentioned that verse almost every week, everything we do, everything we say is done in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ uh, with gratitude in our hearts to God the Father through him. That's a great, great summary statement of the book. It's a great, great summary statement of how our lives should be. Everything we do and everything we say, an act of worship, something that's done because we honor Christ, uh, something that's done because we believe that Jesus Christ will return and take us home to be with him. Well, Before Paul uh, puts his uh, friend's pen down, uh, and we'll talk more about that use of an amanuensis in a little bit. Paul didn't write, literally write, his own letters. He had a secretary, an amanuensis, do it. But he always had a little part in there where he said, I'm writing this with my own hand, kind of like his personal signature. And he does that in Colossians as well. We'll talk more about that uh, when we get to that part here in chapter 4. As we look ahead, Uh, we realize that uh, there's uh, a lot of concerns in our world today. Uh, And that was certainly true in the first century as Paul wrote this book of Colossians, this letter uh, to a church, a very real church, a group of people uh, that lived in the western part of modern-day Turkey, the Roman province of Asia, uh, not far from some other key cities such as Ephesus and Laodicea. Um, But as Paul writes this, they had great concerns, and we know from history that uh, things were going to get very worse for the church in the next couple of hundred years or so, because it would be another 300 years or so before uh, the Emperor Constantine comes along and changes the whole direction of the Roman Empire uh, to one that is less critical and uh, less violent towards uh, the church and um and but, and so Paul also stresses that we will be facing that future that without denying the concerns and the difficulties that we face that future with great confidence and that's that's our world. a lot of our concerns are similar to those of the Colossians, and the reasons for our confidence and our optimism are the same as well uh, we don't trust in the and the way things are going right now. We don't trust in our own material possessions. We don't trust in our, our friends or our leaders. We ultimately put our trust in Jesus Christ and we ultimately look to the scriptures, uh, to the Bible for our guide. We talked about that in the sermon time on Sunday morning as we looked at that great passage in Romans 13 verses 1 through 7 and spoke about that uh, very difficult relationship at times between the Christian or the church and the civil authorities. So I hope if you haven't listened to that, that you'll go on our website, westerwin.com, Erwin with an E, E-R-W-I-N, WestIrwin.com, and click on, uh, scroll over to where it says um, uh, social media and other resources. Click on the live streaming page and then scroll down a little bit and you'll see a link to video archives. And that's how you get all of these studies in Colossians and Mark and the previous ones we've done, such as in the book of Acts and in the book of Psalms, but also our Sunday morning worship assemblies and specifically my Sunday morning sermons. Uh, my dear friend Terry Frick puts these on there. And we have um, a, uh, 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 a list. Of, we have a bunch of the sermons and then the last several worship assemblies. But you can access the sermons as well. And so I hope if you haven't that you'll uh, take a listen uh, and watch that video of the sermon this past Sunday on April 11th. And a very difficult sermon, a very difficult time in our world today, in our country. Uh, But I think, again, just like the Colossians, it was more difficult for them than it's ever been for us and hopefully ever will be. uh, Because in the first century, as you well know, in the Roman Empire, they faced great persecution from the Jews, their, some of their own people, and the Romans, the pagans, who uh, uh, within just a short time of this book's being written, would put to death the apostles Peter and Paul and would continue that onslaught against the church uh, for decades to come. Uh, we face the concerns of the future with confidence, just like they did, because of the relationships we share with other believers and with our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this week, today and Thursday, as we close out this study of Colossians, we're reminded specifically today of the critical value of our relationships with each other. And it's amazing to hear Paul run down this list of people that he greeted and knew uh, in Colossae. Very likely he had never been there, and yet he knew a bunch of people there. Uh, He did a lot of ministry in Ephesus, and it's very possible that the church at Colossae was started through some of the people, some of the converts that Paul had. Uh, there. Uh, On Thursday, we'll conclude the series and we'll hear again about the call to be authentic Christians, a term that's very important in the book of Colossians. It's very important to our friends and neighbors today that they want to see us living authentic Christian lives and not just hearing what we say we believe, but seeing it lived out in our lives. And that'll be where we end on Thursday but today we look at the last passage in the book of Colossians in chapter 4 and emphasize our relationship with other believers and I want to read this passage and then I want us to go back over the names and give you a little bit of a a, a, a little bit more information on who these people are uh, that Paul is addressing based partly on what he says here and partly on some other passages as well so Colossians 4 uh, verses 7 through 18. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. Obviously, Tychicus taking the letter from Paul, uh, likely in Roman, uh, in Rome, in, in under house arrest, um, taking the letter of Colossi, of Colossians and probably the letter of Philemon, possibly even the letter of Ephesians uh, to them. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and faithful servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts." Paul doesn't want to hide anything from them. He wants them to know exactly how he's doing. And I'm sure what Tychicus will say is what we read about at the end of the book of Acts in Acts 28. Uh, As Paul is under what we might call house arrest, he has some freedom. He has visitors that come and go. He's able to write letters. And so he writes Ephesians and Philippians and he writes Colossians and Philemon. And uh, and he also interacts with some of the Jewish leaders in the area. And we that's how the book of Acts ends in Acts 28, if that's where Paul is as he's writing this. And I I believe uh, that it is. Verse 9, he is coming with Onesimus. We'll say more about him. Our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. Um, they will tell you everything that is happening here. So I, I want us to talk about Onesimus here in just a few moments. Verse 10, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. And you might remember Mark, uh, the author of the gospel, yes, but also the man who went with Barnabas and Paul on that first mission journey and then turned back and went home to his home in Jerusalem to, to his mom. And uh, and Paul had such a hard time with that that he didn't want to take Mark with him on the second and third mission journeys. It caused such a rift between Barnabas and Paul that, that they went different directions. Well, obviously, this says that that was patched up, and we'll say a little bit more about Mark uh, in just a moment. Verse 11, Jesus, not that Jesus. Jesus, who is called Justice, and obviously we know why, because of that reason, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is also wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Uh, Paul is talking about the man that likely took the gospel to Colossae, his hometown, and shared uh, and began the church there uh, after being converted by the Apostle Paul. Obviously, still very connected with his homeland, with his home city, with his home, home, uh, uh, hometown, and uh, and continues to wrestle in prayer uh, for them. Verse 13, I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis, two nearby towns. And he mentions the Laodiceans again in a moment. Verse 14, our dear friend Luke, yes, that Luke, the doctor and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Several of those that are mentioned here as well as in Romans 16. Um, had the church meeting in their home. Uh, Verse 16, After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Um, Again, we'll talk about that in a moment, but there were possibly a couple of letters written, uh, one of them that we don't have extant, as we say, uh, that is still available, that's not inspired scripture, and so history did not preserve it. But uh, uh, it also could be referring to a a different letter and not just the one to Laodicea. Uh, But Paul says, look, there's a couple of letters out there. Uh, I want y'all to exchange and to hear uh, what they have to say. Verse 17, tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. Um, I, Paul, verse 18, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. We can talk about Paul being under house arrest, but the truth is it was not a favorable situation for him. He was still under arrest and he did not have his freedom and he was still in chains. And that could be um, uh, metaphorical, uh, but it's likely also that Paul had some kind of bonds, uh, stocks on him that uh, caused him to have to stay where he was. and so it's amazing uh, that we read this, and you can read Romans 16 as well, where Paul also addresses a church that he um, he had never been to, as best we can tell. His first trip to Rome was uh, just before these letters were written, uh, the prison epistles. And so as he writes the letter to the Romans in Romans 16, he's writing to a church where he'd never been, and yet he knew so many people, and they knew so many people that he knew, and that's what happens here in Colossians 4. Uh, This common thread between those two and between all the names that are there is uh, significant because it um, establishes how deep his relationships were. Relationships in the church in Christ are absolutely significant, and not just significant and important, but critical. They are critical. They're absolutely essential. If we are going to live a faithful life, we simply cannot do this by ourselves. We cannot. And I think that's what these chapters, Romans 16 and this one here in Colossians 4, verses 7 through 18, confirms beyond a shadow of a doubt. Paul had great relationships with the people at Colossae. And he he knew that they had great relationships with him and with some of the people that were with him at the time. And so he addresses all of that. And we realize that that rapport, that relationship is absolutely essential in ministry. But it's also absolutely essential just to live a faithful Christian life. This past year, uh, 15, almost 16 months now, has been very, very hard on the church. Very hard. And I hope that you have kept connections with your local church, with your church family. I know we've had many people at West Erwin who have not been able to come back even still, but we've also had many people who have and we're so grateful and so thankful. Uh, We're seeing our numbers continue to be uh, significant in light of where we've been over these last 15 or 16 months. Uh, We stopped meeting in person uh, last March and were that way for five or six weeks until Mother's Day in 2020, and our, and it, we're seeing now more and more people that are coming back for the first time, and we're so grateful and so thankful, and we're so thankful for this online presence that has allowed us to stay in contact and to continue that relationship, and many have. And they continue their online giving. They continue to watch lessons, to take part in our worship service, to have communion in their home, as they partake of it with us who are gathered in person. And again, more and more every week are coming back. And and I hope that you will do that as well because you need to, and they need you to. Uh, that is so important. That's why God created the church, because he knew this. He knew that we could not be faithful on our own. It was going to be hard enough with Satan walking around like a roaring lion seeking to devour us as the apostle Peter writes. But it's, It's significant for us that we have each other. And this list of names brings that out. Uh, Here, Paul is an inspired apostle of Christ, having seen the Lord. And yet he had all of these relationships with people. So many times Paul is in in his letter says, I'm praying for you and pray for me. Um, And he does that here as he ends this letter saying, remember my chains, that's such a call to prayer. Well, let's look through this list. He first begins with this man Tychicus. He traveled with Paul and along with Onesimus, that he also mentions, brought the letters to the Colossians and to Philemon, Uh, who knows, possibly Ephesians, or there may have been uh, others at work there, Uh, and, and, uh, and, and possibly also the letter that Paul mentions here to the Laodiceans. Um, And we'll talk a little bit more about that. Some have suggested that the letter to the Ephesians is the letter that's referred to here as the letter to the Laodiceans. Uh, There's a textual variant, as they call it, when the manuscript evidence is inconsistent, although it's consistent enough. But in the book of Ephesians, and you can study this on your own at the very beginning in chapter one, when he mentions that he is writing to the church in Ephesus, uh, that term in Ephesus is uh, one of those that has some of the manuscript evidence, it doesn't include it. I believe that it, that it is to the church at Ephesus, and I think that what Paul is referring to here is another letter, the letter to the Laodiceans, a nearby town. He mentions Laodicean Hierapolis. Ephesus is another one that was in that general area. And he mentions that he wrote letters to the church in Ephesus To the church in Laodicea and to the church in Colossae. Certainly makes sense, but not all of them were uh, designated to be inspired scripture. And that's why we have Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon, but not Laodiceans. Laodicean. So, um, uh, Onesimus is another one that Paul uh, addresses here. And Onesimus, we read more about him in the book of Philemon. Because Philemon uh, was uh, a man who was a a leader in the church uh, at Colossae. In fact, in Philemon, it says that uh, the church met at his house. Um, Onesimus was a slave that Philemon had, and he had escaped. And read the book of Philemon because Paul addresses that subject, but he addresses it in a very personal and a very concrete and real way. This is a real-life situation. What do you do with someone who is a Christian slaveholder in the first century? And now you have found uh, his slave who ran away, and now you've converted him. And what does Paul do? He sends Onesimus back to the church at Colossae and to Philemon, but with a letter to the church, but also a personal letter to Philemon himself. This is a letter that Paul likely wrote himself uh, fully, uh, the book of Philemon, the one chapter letter. And in it, he encourages Philemon to accept Onesimus back, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. Uh, It's a very touching, very important letter, the book of Philemon. Um, Okay, Aristarchus, another guy, he shared many experiences with Paul, including Paul's voyage to Rome. Recorded in Acts 27. Do you remember that letter or that incident, that event? That was that was hard. I mean, there was a storm. There was a uh, they were the ship was falling apart. They were tossing stuff overboard. Paul had a very special moment where he encouraged them to eat and, and took the food and blessed it and gave it to them. And then they tossed it overboard. They tossed the tackle overboard. Uh, they tossed supplies overboard. They sent somebody to swim under the ship to, try to with a rope to try to tie it together. Acts 27 is an exciting passage. Uh, and I hope that you've read that and, and read up on it a little bit. Uh, but Aristarchus was on that voyage with Paul, uh, which is pretty uh, incredible. And then he mentions Mark. Uh, and Mark, again, had deserted Paul and Barnabas during that first mission journey in Acts 13 and 14. And he hadn't gone very far with him. He was likely quite young. Uh, some have associated Mark, the author of the gospel, uh, with this same person and the one who is unnamed, who was a, a young man uh, when Jesus was arrested, who uh, fled naked because they had tried to capture him. Um, many believe that that was also Mark. His mother, his, his home in Jerusalem, seemed to be the home where the early church in the very first uh, uh, days actually met. Um, as we said, uh, Mark deserted them, uh, his cousin Barnabas and Paul, on that first mission journey. And then because of that, Paul refused to take him along the second and third journeys, and he took Silas. Instead, a man who had come from Jerusalem uh, to the church at Antioch of Syria to help encourage them in the great work that they were doing, just like Barnabas had brought Paul to uh, Antioch of Syria. And then um, and then Paul, uh, Barnabas and Mark went one way. Paul took Silas and went a different way and found Timothy and had him circumcised and took him along as well, who is also with Paul. And is part of the, is addressed uh, as one of the ones who is uh, sending this letter uh, to them. I believe the letter is written by Paul, but Timothy is with him and he acknowledges that. The great thing about Paul and Mark is that that relationship was restored. Uh, In 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verse 11, Paul says that that Mark is valuable to him. Philemon verse 24 also mentions that. Uh, Paul says that Mark is valuable to him in the gospel and even with him at times. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, it's interesting to me that the apostle Peter speaks of Mark the exact same way that Paul speaks of Timothy. As Peter is closing out his letter in 1 Peter 5, he says in verse 13, he refers to my son, Mark. Um, wonderful statement there. This man by the name of Jesus, also known as Justice, so that they could avoid confusion, Um, This is the only mention of him we have in Scripture, so we really don't know anything else about him. Epiphras that he mentions is a Colossian and was involved in establishing the church there. Paul says that exact thing in Colossians 1, verses 7 and 8. And now here we read about him in verses 12 and 13 and in Philemon, verse 23 as well. Um, Epaphras is referred to as Paul's fellow prisoner. Could have been his prisoner at other times. It could be that he was just there with Paul uh, while he was there in Rome uh, under arrest for preaching the gospel. Luke, he refers to here, uh, uh, Luke the doctor. We know that Luke is the doctor. We read the gospel of Luke and we're amazed at the detail. And he starts out in Luke chapter 1 talking to his friend Theophilus saying, Hey man, I did my homework. Uh, I researched this. I looked at all the re- the records. I interviewed people. I, I did my homework. And now I wanted you to know uh, the story of this man that we call Jesus. And so it was a, it's a great letter. Luke is also, as you know, Paul's traveling companion and fellow min- missionary. Uh, and a lot of Paul's influence is probably seen in the gospel of Luke. It is probably the gospel that is most Uh, readable and uh, uh, hearable to non-Jewish people. And Luke makes a point uh, to emphasize that. One of my favorite things about the Gospel of Luke and my friend Spencer Shaw kind of referred to this in his wonderful communion meditation he had for us this Sunday while he was visiting family and, and his home church here at West Irwin. Wonderful preacher up in Oklahoma City area. Um, one of the great things about the book of Luke is that Jesus is always eating. I mean, he and his disciples are just always eating. There's a dinner, there's a lunch, there's a <clears throat> some kind of meal uh, throughout the gospel of Luke. And as a preacher who is trying to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, I'm right there with him, doing my very best. Never turning down an offer to, to go out to eat or for somebody to bring over food. Well, okay, sometimes I do. Uh, but boy, I tell you, we love those times that we're looking forward to the day when we're less concerned uh, because of the virus about events like that. And we're getting there. We truly are. <clears throat> Demas is also referred to here. And apparently, according to Second Timothy, chapter four, verse 10, he later deserted Paul. And so a sad note there. Again, we mentioned the church at Laodicea. It's a nearby town. They also received a letter from Paul. And as you know, the church at Laodicea is one of the seven churches of Asia in uh, Revelation uh, chapters 3 and 4. Paul didn't have a whole lot of good to say about them, and we remember that. Um, And that's a hard, hard thing. Um, Hierapolis is another nearby town. Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis uh, may all have been established by Epiphras while Paul was in Ephesus, not very far away, uh, for three years on his third mission journey, recorded in Acts chapter 19, as long as Paul stayed anywhere. And so it makes sense that he would, some of those that lived in the surrounding area that he uh, worked with and converted there, uh, went back home and established the church in their own hometown. And that seems to be what Epaphras did uh, for Colossae and perhaps for the other places as well. Uh, Paul is uh, in Ephesus around AD 55, which would be about five, six years or so before uh, this letter is written. And um, and so as he writes, um, he's writing to a church that's fairly new, fairly young, but still is um, is doing some amazing things. This woman by the name of Nympha uh, is a Laodicean and uh, Paul addresses her and the church that met at her home. Uh, So a great note there. Archippus is greeted in Philemon verse 2 and Paul calls him his fellow soldier. A lot of people that were friends of Paul's and co-workers, fellow workers in the gospel with him. And then Paul gives his own handwritten greeting as is his custom. Uh, in verse 18, he used an amanuensis, the, as I mentioned, the only book that Paul writes, the whole thing himself physically writes out is that one chapter book and letter of Philemon that he writes uh, to uh, Philemon. And it's interesting that Philema and Philemon and his wife, uh, Aphia, are not greeted here in Colossians 4, but of course are mentioned in Philemon, as are many of those mentioned here. In Colossians, they're also mentioned there. The Colossian church, as we, best we can tell, likely met in the home of Philemon. Um, and and so it's interesting how all of that works out and the emotion behind uh, that letter and the love and concern that Paul had for the Christians at Colossae, not very long ago established uh, for the first time. Well, what does all this say? Um, It says a lot about ministry. It says a lot about the Apostle Paul. It says a lot about the Colossians themselves, but it also says a lot about um, relationships. It says a lot about how important those relationships are in ministry. Even for the inspired Apostle Paul, he recognized the value of relationship. As he writes this letter, as he is closing it out, he says, look, everybody here says hi, and here they are, names it, because they were all familiar with the church at Colossae. And here, I want you to tell these people hi for me. And he does that especially in the book of Romans. And amazingly enough, again, as best we can tell, Paul had not been to either place, and yet he had such a connection with them. We need to have that same connection. And we have every opportunity to maintain contact with each other. And what a blessing it is to do just that. Uh, Ministry involves a network of Christians. And that's why Paul and others uh, provide names like this and ask for prayers. That's why the writer of the book of Hebrews says in chapter three, encourage one another every day, and in chapter ten, encourage one another every Sunday. Don't stop meeting together. Keep meeting together because you need the encouragement. We can worship God everywhere. We can worship God certainly from our home in our pajamas. And I realize that some people still need to do that for because of physical health conditions and concerns. And I get that and that's fine. But for the rest of us, the church needs us and we need the church. We need to be there to encourage each other. And just as soon as it's safe for you, my friend, I hope and pray that you will do that and that you will be once again involved, not just in receiving uh, that uh, encouragement that comes from being there in person, but, but that your, your fellow believers need you there. They need you there. To offer that same encouragement and blessing. Uh, ministry involves a team of co-laborers. We see that relationship of, and network of Christians, but it's also a team of, of co-workers. We see that in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4, all the gifts that are mentioned there uh, that believers have. And they're different gifts. Why? Because people's needs are different. And for the church to be able to do the church's work, we need a team of co-laborers, not just uh, full-time or part-time ministers who are supported by the church financially. That's important, especially these days. But everyone has a place and a role, and that's what those, those chapters mean to us. Uh, the 12th chapter of Romans and First Corinthians, the 4th chapter of Ephesians, some comments in, in 1 Peter as well. Those those are are reminders to us that every person, every member of the body uh, has a role to play. And every member is just as important as all the other members. And that is especially seen, as Paul writes, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12. Ministry involves a network of Christians. It involves a team of co-laborers. And it involves a sense of optimism. Even in the first century, when people were being killed for their faith, and even in the 21st century American communities where there is such a challenge and such difficulty, being optimistic while maintaining a sense of reality. We don't deny the difficulties we face, but neither do we deny the power of God, of His Word, of His Holy Spirit, of His Church. Uh, It is contrasted with uh, the, the attitude and the feeling of so many in our world today, so many in our own communities, even in our own families, who are negative and pessimistic and, and very cynical about what's ahead. Christians should not be that way. We don't have to be that way. Why? Because our trust is not in any political party or leader. It's not in any country or government. Uh, it's not even in our own health or in our own uh, relationships, ultimately. But our our hope and our confidence and our assurance comes because of our Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that empty tomb That the world celebrated not very long ago. If we believe that tomb is empty, if we believe Jesus rose from the dead, then we believe that he can handle whatever's going on in our world today. And we know that that's the truth. Thursday we'll conclude this series and we'll hear again that call to be authentic Christians. But let's read again how this great book ends in verse 18. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains grace be with you. I hope that you're praying for your fellow members, including church leaders and ministers and elders and others. And I hope also that you're offering them encouragement. not a Sunday goes by that I don't receive uh, encouragement through texts or emails or uh, conversations like I had with one of our shepherds just a few moments ago, encouraging me about this study of Romans on Sunday mornings and specifically the passage, the sermon that I just preached two days ago. What a blessing that is. That goes miles and miles and miles and miles. And I hope that you're doing that, and I hope that you're receiving that. Paul sought that, and Paul had that with the Romans, the Christians there in Rome, but also with the Christians in Colossae, and the book of Colossians affirms that. I look forward to being with you for our last lesson, our concluding lesson from the book of Colossians, on Thursday. God bless.